You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts around the world on the latest and most interesting trends and information on human rights and international humanitarian law. This week, the On Human Rights podcast series turns to Isitu Aisha Jones, entrepreneur, stylist and founder of Black Lives Matter Sweden. Yes, uh, my name is Aisatu Aisha Jones. My actual name is Aisatu, but uh, when I started my career within fashion industry, people got a hang up with my name and I just got fed up with it. So I started saying, yeah, my name is Aisha. Uh, and my name Aisatu is actually a version of Aisha. It is the Gambian version of the Arabic name. I am a mother of three, um, of uh, African descent, born in, uh, in West Africa, in Gambia and grew up in, in a small town in, in Sweden. I'm cr- currently uh, residing in Stockholm, even though I don't consider myself as a, as a part of this town in some ways. I think that I'm always a part of my original town, which is Örebro. Uh, but I lived in Stockholm for the most of my adult years. I live in a suburb, or as they call it in the media, a no-go zone. I don't understand why it's labeled that because it's the best soul for anyone to ever live in. Yeah, that's me. Maybe we can begin by talking a bit about no-go zones. Um, For our listeners outside of Sweden, we should explain that these are areas, urban areas in Sweden, typically Stockholm and Malmö suburbs, which the media portrays as unsafe to visit. Although it's been rejected by Swedish police and government officials, it's quite a hard label to shake off and media narratives and everyday discourses really reinforce the perception of suburbs and areas of greater diversity as places synonymous with crime. Why is it so normalised to talk about communities like this? Media is a silent uh, power holder in society uh, and media has the, the possibility to, to make people believe in whatever they write or say. Uh, and as media has labeled the area that I live in, Tiemsta, uh, as a no-go zone, no one, no one dares to question it. The only thing that you see about my area is the bad things, just as the only things that you see about Sweden uh, when you are abroad is the good things. And that doesn't add up because if, if my area was such a bad area to live in, to be in, or, or whatever you do there, then how come that's not the, the portrait of, of Sweden at large? Uh, because my area is still a part of Sweden. So the Tiensta is not an island somewhere between, I don't know, Sweden and Norway or Sweden and Denmark or whatever, Sweden and Finland, it is in Sweden. So the area that I live in, the no-go zone that they call it should be a reflection of what is wrong in the Swedish society. Uh, and I think that this is a way to, to somewhat like, how to say, like most of the people that lives in, in, uh, in Tiemsta or in these so-called no-go songs that the media calls it, are immigrants, are people of non-ethnic Swedes and such. So I think that's the way for them to, to distance themselves from, from the structural errors in Sweden. So I guess the way in which this paradox between Sweden's identity as seen from abroad and the everyday realities that are experienced. In some ways, it mirrors the pattern of Swedish denialism. Yes. I know on Sunday at the RWI's film festival, you spoke about the role of education and historical knowledge. In Sweden, it appears that educational curriculums completely deny a past or present experience of racial discrimination. Obviously, the US, France and the UK are not bastions of racial equality by any extent at all. 
but it does feel like in the last few years there has begun a bit of a conversation in the corners of anti-colonial discourses, anti-racist education. Do you feel as though Sweden is lagging behind in these conversations and moments of reflection? Sweden is far behind. Like if we are in the 2021, Sweden is like in 19 something. Like Sweden is so, so far behind. It's not even, it, it, it's a serious crime against humanity uh, because Sweden doesn't even own up to the fact that they played a huge role in slavery. They don't own up to the fact that they play a huge role in uh, racial discrimination. Sweden is the one that gave the world the method to discriminate against other races, as they call it. There's no doubt that there's only one, one race when we are talking about humans, and that's the like human race. But Sweden gave the world the tools to divide people into different races. And that is something like, that is something that the Swedish nation, the Swedish people, most of them don't even acknowledge it. Most of them don't even acknowledge the fact that due to the, the metals uh, that we have in Sweden, the world, the other world countries were uh, able to keep slaves because it is our iron that was chained to the slaves. It is our shit that was borrowed to other countries for them to be able to ship slaves from Africa. So. When it comes to Sweden owning up to its own history, owning up to its own flaws, they are so far behind, so, so far behind. Compared to other countries? To me, it's like, at least they have owned up to it. We can hold them accountable for their actions. We can talk about the fact that it is uh, uh, hypocritical for them to say, yes, we play the role in it. We are sorry, but we are still going to tax you for it. We can hold them accountable for that. But we can't hold Sweden accountable for anything because Sweden refuses to acknowledge their role. And their role was crucial. Without the Swedish iron, without the Swedish ship, I don't think that as many people would have been enslaved, to be honest. And like, we don't even have to go as far as slavery. We can just look in modern day. I think that there was a report that they dropped a few days ago where, where they spoke about uh, Swedish weapons being the most sold weapons to countries where people are currently dying, our guns. It is our weapons that are creating this mass destruction. But by all means, Sweden is the best country. Sweden is such a democratical country. Sweden is such a uh, inclusive country and whatever they, they, they sell to the world. And it's crazy. I, I, I don't know who is the PR manager of Sweden, but I would love to be that person's intern because it's crazy how Sweden spins this story and this narrative that even though we now know that it's not true, we still keep buying it. We still keep buying that same lie that they feed us. And that can only be like, we can only fight it with education. We can only fight it by changing the narrative by teaching us the things that they don't want us to know, by teaching us the things that, like let's just say the, the indigenous people of Sweden, learning from them about their history, not learning their history from the ethnic Swedes, not learning about their history from the Swedish history books that they have in the school, learning from them. The same thing with, with people from Finland, because they were also colonized by Sweden. So there's, 
there's so much to the Swedish history that we don't know about. Like I just learned a few days ago and we are in March, 2021. And I just learned a few days ago that Sweden actually took part in, uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Berlin conference uh, where Africa was divided as, as a pie chart. Sweden was there, Sweden enabled it. Sweden, <laughs> Sweden played a huge role in that as well. So it's crazy. There's, I feel like there's so many things that we don't know that we have the right to know. Absolutely. And evidently, education is an essential tool in fighting ignorance and institutional blindness. But changing curriculums can be a long-term struggle in the day-to-day now. How do we start instigating accountability towards the Swedish state? How can we make people more aware? How is accountability, society-wide accountability, going to be garnered? Yeah, uh, I really think that everything starts with oneself. Uh, it may sound small uh, to some. Uh, it may sound impossible to others. But I really do think that if I change the way I am, I will inspire at least one person. And if I have inspired one person, then we are going to be two people that do and act and think differently. And hopefully that person that I inspire is going to have someone in their network that they are going to in- inspire and so on. And within due time, the whole country will be inspired to do better, to act better, to see better. Like start deconstructing your own ways of looking at things, your own ways of looking at others. Talk to a stranger, talk to someone that doesn't look like you. Go visit a no-go zone. Go, go to areas that you normally wouldn't go to. Speak to people that you normally would never talk to. And I promise you that you are going to learn so much more just by saying hi to a stranger for once. But also like dare to question yourself and the way that you think that you know things. Like I thought that I knew so much about slavery and so much about even being black. But I'm constantly learning new things, more things, by just asking myself, huh, but what if? Or why so? And by being able to not be so stuck uh, in my own views or in my own uh, opinions, I can learn new things. I can see the same thing in a new way. No, it's so important to remember and be reminded that we should never be comfortable there's always more opportunities to check our privilege and our perspectives and our ignorance. Yeah, I really think that changing the world is a matter of actions and you have to act. You have to act, you have to do. You can't just like, as many people say, and that is such a Swedish thing, like, oh, but I'm not a racist. Yeah, okay, but you're not, you, you like, just not being a racist, that, that kind of doesn't do it because that's what brought us here. Everyone walking around and saying, well, at least I didn't do that. Yeah, fine, okay, pat yourself at the back, but did you stop it? Did you intervene? Did you say something, you know? And, and that's the difference between like just allowing things or acting. I think that we need more people who dares to, to act. Like Sweden takes a lot of pride in, uh, in something that we call civil courage, and that's I don't know what that would be in English. To me, it is human decency to stand up to something that you know is wrong. Like, for example, if you see someone in the street saying something to a woman in hijab, for example, 
civil kuras means that you you speak up you tell that person hey that's not cool to say and swedes take a lot of pride in sweden being a country where people has civil kuras but we kind of lost it because i don't know how many times i see a lot of shit happening and nobody's speaking up nobody's doing anything so we need to go back to our core values to feeling the pride of being a swede and being a swede essentially is something very beautiful it is something that most swedes are proud of i'm proud of it i'm hella proud to be swedish but i think that we lost our way we are such a lost nation that can't even stand in in the things that makes us simple decent humanity we lost it yeah and i guess when these trends combine you begin to understand how Sweden's celebration of itself as a place of equality, democratic involvement and welfareism is simply blindsided, like, as well as losing the courage to stand up for others as an inability to approach historical involvement in systematic racial discrimination, as we said, or confront media narratives which further marginalise communities. Yeah, yeah. And if you look to, like, like you're from England, because in, in England, at least, you guys, or how I see it, is that you guys discuss these things. Yes, the issues are are there, just as the issues are here in Sweden. But here, it's not even up for debate. Like, you, how how am I supposed to debate something when even my government tells me that it doesn't exist? And that's the that's the ground stone of everything. You have to acknowledge the fact that it exists. Without without it existing, we can't we can't face it. We can't we can't, we can't fight it. There's no way for us to fight it if it doesn't exist. But I guess that in many ways that's what Black Lives Matter is confronting. It's using experiences of brutality and discrimination to prove that these self-perceptions are wrong, that racism is violent, everyday reality around the world, and that we need to hold our social circles, institutions and governments to account. And maybe your role in helping to organise many of the protests last summer, particularly the digital check-in at the US Embassy, that in itself is a means of holding those in power to account. Yeah, that was a a roller coaster of mixed emotions. Can you describe in what ways? The sad part was that black people faced uh, a double pandemic. We had corona that was killing people, uh, mostly uh, ethnical people, and nobody cared. Nobody cared until until white people started dying, until people in, in the central uh, parts of mainly Stockholm started dying. That's the time that, that Sweden started caring. So we were going through that. But at the same time, we were also going through uh, the racial issues and, and, and the pandemic of, of, of racism. This video of uh, George Floyd that I think just tipped people over the point. People were already tired. People were already feeling all kinds of emotions due to Corona. And then here comes yet another video, yet another hashtag, yet another Black man, yet another Black person killed in broad daylight by police. And we all knew that justice is not going to be served. His life is just going to end up being a hashtag. We are not going to see any change we are not going to hear anyone call that police any of those things that is used when a black or ethnic person does something bad we even saw 
hashtag blue lives matter. Please tell me how many cops have been killed for no reason. No, no life loss due to, uh, due to violence is a life that should have been lost. Like, let me just have that said so that no one comes and, oh, do you think that it's fair for, for police to be killed? Definitely not. No one should lose their life due to any type of brutality. But here we have people that are targeted, that are demonized, and that are brutally killed in the name of the law. And that just tipped everyone over, uh, including myself. So it was a lot of mixed emotions from those perspectives how do you say perspectives? <laughs> and uh, but then here comes this thing that that Swedes had been lacking, that the world had been lacking, and that's unity. People united, people rallied up for Black Lives. People rallied up for human decency, and that was something that was beautiful to see. Very, very, very empowering to see. I remember going to uh, one of the demonstrations and. I have been at demonstrations before for various causes, but no one really touched me like that. But there was something about this demonstration and seeing people of all colors, seeing people of all ages, seeing people of all abilities, standing together, chanting together, crying, laughing, screaming, dancing together. There was something so powerful about it. So, so powerful about it. And I remember uh, doing a live stream on the on the BLM Sweden uh, Instagram page, and I just broke out in tears. I felt wonderful. It felt so wow. Like that feeling is something that I have lived upon on many of the days when when it felt hopeless. Then I just like to close my eyes and go back to that very moment when, like, in front of me, I can just see the backs of people dancing and having their signs and if I look to my to my right if I look to my left or if I look at the back same thing and people are there to celebrate and to stand up for the value of black people and that was powerful to see because even though I, I, I'm 35 years old I had never seen such a powerful statement before so that gave me hope same thing goes for the digital pro protest. Like if you swipe even up, up, up till this day at the American embassy on their social platform, you're gonna see that fist, you're gonna see those black squares. And there is a constant reminder that even though it may feel like that, we are not alone. And even though it may feel like people don't care, they do care. We just need to give people the tools to do better. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. What is the strategy going forward for Black Lives Matter as a campaign group in Sweden? How do you plan to give those tools and further inspire people and demand real institutional and cultural and political change? Uh, we are actually seeing uh, real uh, political uh, changes uh, here in Sweden. We are seeing for the first time ever uh, parts of the governments uh, of the government owning up to the honest fact that uh, racism is something structural in Sweden. We are seeing a more, a more understanding of the issues that Black people face in Sweden. We are seeing the government making moves towards a better, how to say, a better law, better education 
And I think that's where we need to go. Education is the key of everything. If you look back in history, then you see that one of the, the tools used against people or to keep people marginalized is education. And it is most often the educational part that is uh, the first one to go and the last one to come back. And that's because knowledge is such a powerful tool. It is such a powerful tool to free yourself, to free your mind, to free others and to build. So in Black Lives Matter Sweden, knowledge is something that we take highly of. Since the first demonstration that we have on the 2nd of June, 2020, we have had uh, live streams every Tuesday where we try to raise awareness uh, and increase knowledge about how life is for Black people in Sweden and around the globe. We stop them for various reasons, but they are coming back again. Uh, and I think that is going to be one of our strongest tools of, of creating change. We have to educate people more and we have to make the, like, the waste majority to understand how it is to be a Black person. Because without people knowing, without ourselves knowing, we're not going to be able to change it. So that is number one. But also unity. Without the unity, you can't do anything. It's like try to carry a grocery bag with just your pinky finger or with just two of your fingers. It's going to hurt like hell and you're not going to get that far. So, but if you carry it with your whole hand, with all of your fingers, you can, you can, you can carry that grocery bag all the way home without any issue. And it's the same thing. We need everyone. We need all hands on deck. We need all the fingers. We need everyone to be united in this cause. But you talk so well about unity and organising. My last question is on how we can foster unity between anti-racist campaigning and organising against gender or sexuality-based discrimination. We need unity, as you say, but unity that puts the spotlight on people of colour and the LGBTQ community, women and every other marginalised individual and Indigenous person. How do you approach that challenge in Sweden? Lie if I said that I am hopeful of, of it coming together sometime soon. Uh, intersectionality is something that people people love to use the word, but they don't know what it really means. Uh, and if you just look at the black community itself, then we have uh, black people who are uh, excluding queer black people. We have uh, uh, queer people who are excluding trans people. So. I don't know, intersectionality, I think that is something that is very difficult to, uh, to normalize because that's the core of change. Like you can, give, you can give women their rights, but you don't give black women their rights, but you gave women the rights. Don't forget, we did give women the rights to vote. Don't forget, we did give women the rights to, to work, but we didn't give it to black women. We didn't give it to indigenous women. Uh, and then you have like, yeah, okay, but as, as a black person, you're now allowed to do this and this and that, but it's not the black Muslim people, it's, but, but it is the black people. So I think that, I don't even know. This one is a really, really tough one because I think it takes 
it takes a higher level of understanding that there are different layers within the structures. And since we haven't even came to acknowledge the structures, we have a long way to go before we could see the different layers within those structures. Uh, my heart really aches for Black Muslim women uh, and for queer Black people because those are at the bottom of everything. And like a queer Black Muslim woman, add to it if she also wears a hijab. I am so privileged if I am compared to her. So I don't know. That one is... That one is painful to think about because I honestly don't think that we are there yet. And I don't know how to get there. No, it's, it's such a challenging question. I think at least when it comes to questions of intersectionality, that the power of social media today has allowed organizers and campaigners over the last 10 months to really hand over to the general public tools and knowledge with which to call out racial discrimination. In the UK this month, conversations on the realities of gender-based violence sparked from the murder of Sarah Everett. And in so, some ways, it is Black Lives Matter's presence in social media that highlighted how unequal the public and media's response to this disappearance was and murder. It has been really interesting to watch how conversations largely by white stakeholders and white women talking about gender-based violence have transformed into a real reckoning again with racial inequality in the UK. Maybe you could say that the prevalence of Black Lives Matter as an international movement has given people the tools to always step into every one of these questions. Because in every scenario, it is people of colour who are female or queer or who have different sexual or religious preferences that are even more marginalized and discriminated against. Yeah, I think that you guys had, uh, at the same time that this woman that you mentioned uh, disappeared and was killed, uh, there was a black woman who also disappeared and was killed and no one spoke about her. So it is exactly how you say it. Like we even have a, a case, a similar case like that here in Sweden, uh, but hopefully, yes, uh, hopefully she is live and well, but that's how it is the, the the white body is always cared for more is always mourned more and and i think that black lives matter movement really has like disrupted that how to say that safe space for white people to continue only seeing their white peers because as you said it is a tragedy that this happened to that woman. It is, it shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. And it happened to someone else as well, but nobody spoke about her because she's black. It is a tragedy that the young girl here in Sweden is lost and it shouldn't have happened to her as, as it shouldn't have happened to the other kids that are lost. But people do look after other kids because they are white. No one is looking for, for Sipora as her name is because she's black. So I think that the movement has really stirred the pot when it comes to that. Yeah. And it is that very lack of action that further reinforces racial inequality. 
you need more of the population to show that they care. Mm. To call on the police to pressurise real in-depth investigations and garner real public support. Because otherwise this gap is just so, so manifest. It's so difficult to be able to treat. Yeah. And now I think we're reaching our time limit. Is there anything else you want to add? No, I think it's, uh, I think you covered the most. Well, thank you so much. I have a lot to think about. Thank you, thank you. That was Aisha Jones, founder of Black Lives Matter Sweden. We're following up from last Sunday's film festival, celebrating the UN Day of Elimination of Racial Discrimination. You can find more interviews, the panel discussion and films on our website. This has been On Human Rights. For more information and the latest updates on the Val Wallenberg Institute's work, Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn and Twitter. Thank you for listening.